black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? You know, the weekend has been good, but, I, you know, Janine, I promise, I feel like January didn't even happen. I just feel so ill-prepared for 2022. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I need to regroup, refocus, and get my life back together. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going to I'm gonna put my big girl draws on, and I'm going to get back on it. How you been, girl? What you been doing this week? <laughs> I feel like 2022, because we've been in the pandemic so long, just feels like one giant extension of 2020. So I get it. But what did you do? Like, did you do something fun at least? No, no, I didn't do anything fun. I just, I've been on call all week. I've worked all week. And I just, honestly, between work, being with Harrison, back to work, you know, my husband is, I don't know if I told the listen. So my husband is actually working in Birmingham now. I don't know if I told everybody that. That's how I started my 2022 off. My husband's been going back and forth from Birmingham. So shout out to Birmingham and to Houston. And his whole family is there. And so it's been definite transition for us. And at first I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this. But it actually has been very good because we can spend like, our time, our family time on the weekend. And during the weekdays, I don't feel guilty about being up really late at night working on things like the podcast or working on, you know, catching up on notes and things like that. So for that, for for that reason, it's been very good. But I feel like because my weekends are very consumed when he's here with making sure we have family time, I almost feel like I'm just sort of floating through the weeks. I, I don't know. It just feels... It feels different now. So I'm telling myself tomorrow is a new day. I'm going to start over and it's going to be a good month of February. It has to be. That's how I feel. It just has to be. We have to get to a point of normalcy. I was just telling Ken, I was like, I haven't been on any dates. I haven't been on any vacations. I haven't been on any trips. I'm trading you in. I literally told him that because I was like, and then he reminded me like, crazy girl, it's a pandemic outside and we're not out trying to mingle with the pandemic people. So I'll be glad when one, we get out of the pandemic and two, when February starts, cause we're going to just, we're just going to claim that it's going to be better. It has to be. I just, I hope so. The numbers here have been soaring and I am just, I'm COVID fatigued. I'm very much so COVID fatigued. And I think that I'm probably in a in, in a space that a lot of other people are, and that's just being overwhelmed and not sure what things are going to look like in the future. Like, how long are we going to be in this? Um, a friend of mine sent me a TikTok. Now, y'all, I'm not on TikTok. Okay, I I just I just watch the videos because I think they're funny. But a friend of mine sent me a TikTok, and the guy was like, "Man, I thought this pandemic was going to be." Like whatever season, something that only had a couple seasons, right? That I don't even know what the name of the thing is. He's like, no, nah, I think this thing is more like Grey's Anatomy. And if y'all know, Grey's Anatomy is like still here, okay? I went through med school, residency, fellowship, two practices, uh, watching Grey's Anatomy, and it ain't canceled. Yep, the pandemic is giving Grey's Anatomy. That is a very good analogy because- mm-hmm. I, you and I said, you, I thought it was going to be over in 2020. You did say we're still going to have this in 2021. 
So I'm like, okay, 2021 is going to come and then we're going to be done with it. Then Omicron hit and you were like, it's going to be in 2022 and we're still going to be in this pandemic. And I really hope that for everyone's sake that this time you're incorrect. But it's really looking like you might be correct. Let me tell you something. The one thing that I am happy about, well, I don't know how to feel about this. So, you know, here we have vaccine mandates to go inside of restaurants, to go inside of any like public establishment, I believe, other than a hospital. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But we do have a vaccine mandate. So if you go into a restaurant, like a public area, you are supposed to be vaccinated, right? But then I saw this article, and this is the part that gives me pause. I saw this article about a New York nurse. I think she was Long Island. I'm not 100% sure, so also don't quote me on that. But y'all can go look it up. A New York nurse who made, in three months, $1.5 million. You know how she made it? Travel nursing? Uh Uh-uh. She was selling fake vaccination cards. (gasps) Scandalous. $1.5 million in three months she made. I was like, now, now, now we all, we tell everyone go get a hustle, but that's not the kind of hustle that we're talking about. Don't do this. This is nuts. I just want everybody to get vaccinated for real, like in real life. And look, if you have a medical condition that requires that you don't get vaccinated, we're not talking about you. We just want everybody else, the people who can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. But like, it's just, it's just too much. Y'all are holding us up. We're trying to get out of this pandemic. Get vaccinated and let's move on. I just feel like at this point, I'm tired of telling people to get vaccinated. So if, if I've had a patient that's come that's seen me multiple times, I know you know all about this vaccine because I talk about this vaccine till I'm blue in the face. So I'll, now I only tell people once and I'll tell them I'm on a soapbox. I'll leave you alone after this. If you decide not to get vaccinated, that's on you. That's just like when people decide they, they're not going to believe in Jesus. Now, you didn't heard the good word. That's your fault. Don't get to the end of your life and you ain't no, no believer. I'm not going to keep on arguing with you you know i'm not gonna argue with no fool you've been exposed to the good word and you want to get through all your life and then say did nobody tell me if i would have known don't get to them gates and say that don't don't do that i'm the same way about this vaccine don't don't do that okay Mm -mm. you know you've been told you are right and we don't want you to go be with jesus early so why don't we just get vaccinated so you can stay here with us but you know the one thing that the pandemic has done it has allowed me to catch up on some i don't want to say some shows so you know when you work from home you can kind of like multitask you know i like to work with noise in the background right so like you know most of the time i work with podcasts in the background when I work from my office, right? But when I work from home, I can work with the TV in the background, right? So most of the times it's turned down low so that I can hear it and it doesn't force me to like turn my eyes and pay attention to it. But it has got, like I've gotten into some great shows. Okay, now I'm gonna have to ask him what this man's name is because he was actually on Conversations with Dr. Ian podcast on our network. But I started watching these Netflix shows that he has and they're amazing. His name is Harlan Coben. And if you just, it's H-A-R-L-E-N, I believe. C-O-B-I-N, I believe. Don't quote me, but if you go type that into Netflix in the search, you'll find it. So the first one that I watched was Stay Close. I was hooked. I watched it. I binged it. I got through it. It was amazing. The second one that I watched was, I don't remember the name of the second one, but I'm now on my third one and they're good. They're amazing. So If you have some time, they're mostly like six to eight episodes. So if you have some time, type in Harlan Coben. They're great. They're amazing. I'm definitely going to do that. I'm like on here now, like Googling, trying to figure (laughs) out what you're talking about. So I'm definitely going to do that because I feel like because now what I do to make myself happy, I feel like I have to convince myself when I'm in clinic to make sure I'm happy because I feel like everybody's either complaining because they have to wear masks or, you know, they claim they screen negative and they in their room coughing. So I have to say prayed up and my mind has to be like really positive. So I have been watching, I'll have uh, Netflix playing while I'm charting. And so I'll pause it, go see a patient. You know, you can't even get through a whole episode like that through the day, but it still like gives me a little bitty happy, happy break, especially on lunch. Like I can like binge watch like 30 minutes of it while I'm typing, which is really good. But um, I've been watching Designated Survivor. I watched part of it and then I like got distracted because I think that Ken was trying to convince me to watch Ozark which I have to start I'm behind you know Ozark is the thing but it's good 
you should watch it. And I have to get back to that. Is Ozark good? I keep, I hear that it's good, but I don't know. I feel like I watched the trailer and I was like, mm, yeah, no, I'll pass. That's what I did mm. too. But they keep telling me like I have to go back. But before you go to Ozark, after you finish watching Designated Survivor, the second movie that I was referring to is The Stranger. That one was actually better than Stay Close. So it's, they're good. They're good. The Stranger, is that, a, is that a movie or is it a series? It's a series. So it's, I believe, eight episodes. But it's really good. It's worth it. Like once you get into it, like I stayed up one night and I was like, okay, Janine, it's almost three o'clock in the morning. You need to go to sleep. But it was really good. Like you will find things to do to keep to stay up so you can keep watching. And then Nicole, we have to watch the Janet Jackson documentary. I know. I didn't watch it when the first when the first episode or I guess first part of the mini series came out. So I was like, nope, I'm going to try to catch it on Hulu. And Hulu was like, nope, you can't catch it yet. So um and I didn't want to catch it in the middle. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait until I can binge watch the whole thing cuz you know I love Janet Jackson. And I was so mad because somebody had a conference call in the middle of the documentary. I was like, <laughs> so um, I should have recorded it, but I wasn't smart enough to re press record at the beginning. So I'll catch it. Yeah, later. me neither. Ken actually was the one that reminded me. And I was like, oh, good point. We have to watch it. We have to watch it. And then we'll talk about it next week. It, will I it be will over definitely... by next week? I think that we'll have a few more. But I've been seeing people's comments on social media and I've been trying to avoid them. So I'm really interested to see it because I really want to know like the in-depth look at Janet Jackson from her eyes, you know, because everyone else has done like their little stories and expose trying to give us little details that we don't know about her. But I want to know what she wants us to know. I'm really interested. All right, Jenny. So what's on your timeline this week? <sighs> so this week, 83 year old Justice Stephen Breyer announced that he will be retiring from his post on the Supreme Court of the United States after 28 years. Justice Breyer did not really give an explanation as to why he was retiring right now, but it's speculated that it's to avoid what happened with Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat after she passed away. So with him retiring during the Biden administration, it gives Biden the opportunity to nominate a justice that will likely have views and rulings that would align closer to that of Justice Breyer, unlike Ruth Bader Ginsburg's successor. So while the rumors of his retirement have kind of been swirling for a couple of weeks now, the um, announcement was quick, almost like it came and went. And I say this because shortly after Justice Breyer's announcement, that he was going to step down from his seat at the end of this term, President Biden made an announcement that kind of overshadowed the announcement of Justice Breyer. President Biden said that the person that he nominates to replace Justice Breyer will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity, and they will be the first black woman nominated to the United States Supreme Court. Despite the fact that President Biden pledged that if he had the opportunity, he would nominate an African-American woman to the Supreme Court. He said that back in 2020. Now it seems like everybody's surprised. If you had listened to his campaign and you followed his career and the nominations that he's made in the past, and if you look at who his vice president is, you wouldn't be as surprised as these people are seeming to be. And as we know, the conservatives are leading this charge of like, oh, my God, they're picking up a, a black woman. Here's the thing. The conservatives are always going to be super vocal, but they are, I think, exceedingly vocal because they're claiming that President Biden is focusing solely on the fact of race and gender. The naysayers are complaining that he's more focused on that than he is focused on the nominee's qualifications, or judicial philosophy. But let's take it back for a second. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the first thing that he said is that they would be exceedingly qualified. But I think that they missed that part. I digress. Some of these people even claim that Biden's intentions are quote-unquote racist. Now, how we got from nominating a black woman to his intentions being racist, I'm not sure. 
leave it to the conservative media. They'll spin it any way they want. One Fox commentator, who will remain nameless, we will not mention his name on this show, even said that we've marinated for so long in the casual racism of affirmative action that we don't even see anything wrong with this. I haven't marinated in the casual racism of affirmative action, nor do I think that this is affirmative action. What I think is that it's just as President Biden said that he would like the Supreme Court to appear the same way that the United States of America appears. Let's talk about this for a second. So rather than taking President Biden at his word and appreciating the fact that he is making an effort to have the Supreme Court reflect America, they're criticizing him and saying that he thinks that all black women are the same and that we are somehow interchangeable. Now, how they got this out of that, again, it baffles me. So black women make up approximately 3% of the federal court system, but we make up approximately 13% of society. There has never been a Supreme Court justice that is an African-American woman. And as a matter of fact, there has never even been an African-American female nominee. The U.S. Court of Appeals has been somewhat of a feeder into the Supreme Court. And if we look at Biden's history, he has nominated the most black women to the U.S. Court of Appeals. There are so many speculations as to who these nominees may be. Some of the names that have been mentioned are Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, Judge Michelle Childs, Judge Leandra Kruger, Judge Candace Jackson Aquami, and Judge Eunice Lee. Some people who are like, you know, like to believe in Supreme Court fan fiction believe that maybe Vice President Kamala Harris will be in the nominees, which we all know that that's not going to happen. But again, as Abby Phillips says, people like fan fiction. So those are the names that have been thrown out there. My point is, I'm sure that whoever Biden decides to nominate will be exceedingly qualified. And if he stands by his word and nominates a black woman, this will be a historic nomination. He helped get us the first black president. His vice president is the first African-American female vice president. So I think it would only be fitting for him to give us the first African-American female Supreme Court justice. I just hope that whoever he nominates, their nomination is confirmed just as quickly as Justice Barrett's was. That's all I'm saying. What do you think, Nicole? I think that, uh, you know, the Republicans are really praising Michelle Childs um, from South Carolina because, you know, that's Lizzie Graham's stomping grounds. And so he has been singing her praises and said that she would get a a quick confirmation if, in fact, she were the person chosen for the nomination. And, um, And looking at her record and the records of the other people that have been floating around, they definitely represent the chocolate girl magic very, very well. And I am um, elated that he is actually standing by what he said he was going to do. And people can talk about, you know, the Biden Kamala tag team and how they have, how they performed. But we have to realize that when you inherit BS, it's sort of hard to like, wipe the poopy smell out of the room okay so you're tracking it as you keep on walking eventually you'll get all the crap off the bottom of your feet but it's gonna take you a little bit of walking before you get the poop stains out the carpet and so people think that oh well they're doing such a horrible job because our economy sucks i mean look what they inherited they inherited an economy that was just sinking from a president that was just demeaning and degrading and manipulative and self-serving and lying. And they have to basically, one, make sure that we're okay with our allies because we weren't, okay? And then they're trying to patch together an economy that was all the way broken. And so anytime somebody's like, I'm just disappointed in uh, Biden and Kamala, I'm like, first of all, is Miss VP Harris if you if you're nasty. Okay. Stop calling her Kamala. But you gotta realize what they inherited, okay? If you inherited a great economy, then yeah, we expect the for the economy to be good. If you inherit a sucky economy, 
Well, I mean, we're doing good just to stay afloat. And that's one of the main reasons people are like, oh, I wonder if he's going to shut the country back down because of COVID. No, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. He can't. Okay. The economy sucks and people are not going to get vaccinated regardless. So he, he can't shut it down. Okay. But I think that he has done a lot for the black community. And I think that he's even done more than, um, than Obama because Obama, you know, although he did nominate another minority woman to the Supreme court, I think it would have just been too much if he put forth a black woman to the Supreme court, just like it would have been too much to have a black woman run as VP with him, you know, it'd have been like too much, but you know, Joe was really black. So I think that he did a good job in getting the, the next best thing to black to be VP. And he's now stepped up as our president. And you can see that he is putting people of color definitely on the map. And for some reason, people are forgetting how black women handle business. It, it's, it's, it, it pisses me off because when people want stuff fixed, they go to the black woman. But when it's time to give the black woman their props, then all of a sudden, oh, it's reverse racism because he's choosing this black woman. What? What is that? There's no such thing as reverse racism. Stop that. Reverse racism because he's putting a black woman. Now, we didn't got, you know, a, a number of other minorities, but for some reason, the black woman got skip, skipped over in the nomination process all these years. Really? It's about time. It's been long overdue. But I think that if he doesn't do it, then it's not going to be done for a very, very long time if um, Biden doesn't win another term after this. And based on the economy and what he's inherited, there's a chance he may not win a second term. I hope that's not the case, but there's a there's a. If if Trump runs again, he probably will win, meaning Biden will win. But if Trump is not the Republican nominee, there's a huge chance that Biden will not have a second term. So this is the time to do it now to nominate an African-American woman if you're going to do it. Now, the thing that I find the oddest is that the man said, I'm going to retire. They didn't even let the man retire before they started circulating these names. If I was him, I would sort of kind of feel some kind of way like y'all haven't even gotten rid of me yet and y'all have already cast the names of like nine different women <laughs> i mean can i can i have my last hurrah my farewell dinner before you at least start vetting people just saying so a couple of things first i think that yes i agree that he made the announcement and it kind of was like as soon as he announced there was here was the list of names right but I would like to give the Democratic Party some props right now, right? Because I feel like this is the one of the few times in my lifetime where I've seen them work together strategically, as the Republicans have historically done in the past, to get what it is that they were looking for, right? So I get it. There have been rumors floating around beforehand, so I'm sure that they probably, you know, had some conversations and meetings and kind of some, you know, ideas of what would happen if and when he should retire. So... I pre I can appreciate that, right? It just kind of it just kind of I feel like it overshadowed the fact that he was supposed to retire. I think they should have given him a little bit more hooray before they started saying, "Oh, and here by the way is your replacement." It was almost kind of like, "Okay, goodbye," and we're ready to put somebody else in. He is finishing out his term, so we will say that for this year, this year's term. But I would like to point out some other things. This idea that we have to scrutinize the qualifications of, of the next nominee because she's going to be a black woman is quite disturbing to me. And it's specifically disturbing because I'd like to point something out about our last appointed Supreme Court justice, right? So Amy Coney Barrett never tried a case to verdict or argued an appeal in a court and only had two years experience practicing law when she was confirmed as the Supreme Court Justice of the United States. So how dare you scrutinize the qualifications of this potential black woman nominee when that's who you just confirmed? I have lawyer friends that are more qualified than she is. They've tried a case to verdict, argued in a court of appeals, and been practicing for longer than two years. But that's who you all confirmed. I don't even understand why there's a question as to the qualifications of who this black woman would be. So for us, you know, they want to say that we have to have 
I mean, literally, Nicole, think about this. And I'm sure that it's the same with you in the medical field. We got to have 50,000 degrees. We have to have perfect credit. We have to have donated half of our, our lives to said charity. We have to literally do everything and go above and beyond. And yet and still, they want to scrutinize something that we did in just 50 years ago or something that our parents did or something that our grandparents did. It's like wherever the goalpost is for everyone else, you move it back a hundred yards, a whole nother football field. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the goalpost for the African-American woman. I'm tired of it in this instance, because why is it that we are scrutinizing this person before they even receive the nomination? We don't even have to go back a year to see how unqualified our last nominee and the person that was confirmed to the Supreme Court was. So that's disturbing to me. Another thing is, I really do hope that President Biden follows through with this because I feel like it gives the young black lawyers and black female judges like Shakina McKenzie, who in her own right is making making history, hope because now there's no like glass ceiling prior to this there was a glass ceiling right like you may get to the federal court you may but the likelihood of you getting to the supreme court was zero there's never been an example of an african-american woman in the supreme court so now if president biden nominates and this person is confirmed this african-american woman is confirmed then there's no more glass ceiling for lawyers and judges so you know, I think that this will be, you know, just one more thing that we know we can achieve because there has been one before. You know, I know we say this all the time, but the fact that we are in 2022 and we're still making history as firsts is kind of sad. This will be hope for not just lawyers and not just judges, but just for the everyday five-year-old black girl who's like, look, that's what I want to be. So I really hope that he really does follow through with this and his nominee is actually confirmed because what I don't want to have happen is going back and forth because that's just a waste of everyone's time and tax dollars. I don't think that they're going to do that this time. Um, I think that they're going to let, they're going to let Biden have this one. I mean, they really have no choice um, because it's not like he doesn't have another three years in office. And even if the current Supreme court justice serves the rest of the year, and we're going into confirming her in 2023. I mean, that's still two more years. So, so what are they going to do? Argue for two more years? No, they can put her down. He's going to put another black woman up. So, I mean, eventually they're going to get somebody in. So, um, so we'll just wait and see. But, you know, that's how life is. We have to be 10 times as good. We have to be way more educated to make the same amount of money. And then we have to look good doing it. And then we have to watch our tone and don't roll your neck too much and don't be too serious. Oh, yeah. And don't back talk because we, you know, we think you have an attitude. You angry black woman at that point. Just saying. So as we talk about people being outraged about the first black woman Supreme Court nominee, you know, there's a lot of outrageous things that happen when people think that black women shouldn't get what they deserve for some reason. So let's help our listeners and talk through some of these letters. Why don't we? Let's do it. The first letter reads, Nicole and Janine, I sit on the Regional Diversity and Equity Inclusion Committee for my job. My committee often helps with vetting candidates and with the interview process to ensure diversity. A number of managerial positions are open throughout the region. I pointed out that only one out of 32 managers in the region are of color. So we should strive to make sure that this statistic changes and that we have at least two people of color hired. However, the colleague from the legal division said that this would be considered reverse racism, quote unquote, to intentionally hire someone because of their race or ethnicity. I pointed out the fact that we would still ensure that all candidates are qualified and that some might say that because we haven't made more of an effort to hire others of color, that our company is racist in itself. Several people agree with me and the conversation moved forward. A few days later, I get a call from HR saying that I was being disrespectful and unprofessional in my communication. Luckily, the claim was dropped after my supervisor went to bat on my behalf. But why does it have to be all that? Why is pointing out a lack of diversity always something that causes havoc? 
Ladies, should I have handled the situation differently? So first, can I just say this? I'm very, very tired of hearing the term reverse racism. It disturbs me because in the mere definition, now there, reverse racism is a thing, right? But in the mere definition of racism, right? Reverse racism should technically not exist. However, in the dictionary, Oxford Language Dictionary, it says that reverse racism is prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a dominant or privileged racial or ethnic group. But racism, it's kind of an oxymoron to me because racism is the fact that you are discriminating against people for being in the minority. So this whole like reverse racism thing, it's it doesn't put the people that are are supposedly the reverse racist in a position of power. So it really just is a feeling. It does not allow you to implement anything to harm the people that are in a position of power. I'm confused as to why we continue to point to this reverse racism. Is this like the new buzzword for the majority? I'm confused, but I digress. Here's the thing. I don't think that there's anything wrong with what you did. I do, however, think that there is probably some inherent bias and maybe even a tinge of racism in your organization. Look, there's a, a point, and you know your organization better than we do, there's a point where you know that you're stepping on people's toes. And what this sounds like is you got a little too close to the way that some hiring manager or your higher-ups are feeling, and it made them feel like you were directing your comments towards them specifically, which you may have been, right? But no one likes to be called a racist. No one. Even if they are a racist. I mean, like raving racist, saying the N-word out their mouth. No one likes to be called a racist. So you have to be very careful in the manner in which you address these kinds of issues, right? I don't know. I mean, you gave us the information that you gave us and to me, it didn't sound like you did anything wrong. It sounds like your organization might be a little fragile, especially when it comes to the DEI lane, right? If, if, if your organization is not a front runner in the DEI world, then it's likely that there's some growing pains that are going to take place, right? And it just seems like right now, you're kind of on, on that, that like verge of, Maybe it could get better, but right now they're not ready. Now, that doesn't mean don't push. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't push, don't advocate for what is right, but I'm saying you need to be ready that if that should backfire, because it could, if that should backfire, you have a plan B. So my suggestion is to find a plan B just in case this backfires and continue to push for what you know is right. That's my idea. What do you think, Nicole? I think you should document everything that's going on. And, um, you know, it's funny that they have, you know, it sounds like a committee that's responsible for the hiring and diversification. You are on the diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. Your whole job is to make sure that you're bringing diverse candidates to the table. So for somebody to point out the fact that you shouldn't put a quota on the number of people of color that we hire is is crazy like that's your whole job to make sure the people of color get hired and i would reiterate and have someone someone at a higher level also reiterate everybody's purpose in the vetting process because everybody has a purpose there right and as the person that's on the dei committee that's your purpose like you're not talking about any white male candidates that's not your job. Your job is to bring forth diverse candidates, okay? Women, uh, Latinas, Black people. I mean, you need to make sure that those people are represented so that everybody doesn't look like a bald head white guy in management, okay? That's a real thing, and that's a problem when everybody looks the same in management and then they're leading people that don't look like them, and so they can't understand the barriers that they have or respect the opinions that diverse groups have. So that's a real thing. So I'm glad that your boss went to bat for you, but you're right, it shouldn't have to be all that. And I don't think that you should change anything that you said. 
And I don't think that you should tiptoe around this. I'm tired of tiptoeing around stuff, right? You're put there so that you don't have to tiptoe around it. You know, people are like, oh, well, you got to handle them delicately. You know, people don't like being called a racist. But guess what? People don't like being called obese either. Patients, I get patients all the time. Oh, and you know, people put, but I had a BMI, whatever, whatever. Well, is that your BMI? Do you not weigh that? What's the weight on the scale? This is the definition of obesity. You know, no one wants to be called fat when they are in fact fat, but that's the point, okay? So my thing is people that bring up reverse racism are racist, okay? There's no such freaking thing as reverse racism. I don't care who says it, it don't exist. White people are not in a place of systemic discrimination and therefore there is no such thing as reverse racism. Okay, I said what I said and I'm not taking it back, okay? So whenever white people are oppressed as a group of people, then we can say, hey, maybe there's some reverse racism there. Maybe we should look at making sure that there are a number of white men that have managerial positions because we got too many black women in power. Trust me, if it were too many of us, they would let us know. But that is not the case, okay? Systemically, white people are not oppressed, okay? And I, you know, I work with white people every day. I treat white people. I love white people. I have nothing against every different ethnicity. But it's factual that Caucasian people are at a point of privilege here, okay? That's not anything bad. I mean, people, like when you say to white people, oh, you're privileged, they're like, oh, I'm not privileged. Okay, can I can I get it, please? Can I get privileged for 200? Because I would like to be privileged. There's nothing wrong with being privileged. It's, it is what it is, okay? People that are in management and in leadership are more likely to be Caucasian males. So if you're a Caucasian man, you have the advantage because people identify with people that look like them, okay? And if there were more people that were black women in power, I might have a one-up too because people identify with me because I look like them. That's all we're saying when we talk about privilege, okay? It's nothing insulting there. It doesn't mean, oh, well, you're privileged. It doesn't mean you're racist. Privileged and racist are not the same thing, okay? But you saying that, oh, uh, these black people want to be in power, so that's reverse racism. That's racist. And I said it, and I'm not taking it back. Mine's not much better. My letter says, ladies, I love, love, love the podcast. Nicole, I feel like you're my spirit animal. I'm writing because I want your help. I'm a professor at a PWI in the South. I recently found out that I was making tenure, becoming the first black woman to be a tenured professor at my university. I am grateful for the privilege of my small place in history. I don't particularly want my race and gender to be the focus. I'd rather my intelligence be the focal point. My department chair informed me that my tenure would begin immediately, but the university president would like to wait and highlight my elevation either during Black History Month or Women's History Month. While I understand the idea, it feels a bit patronizing. I almost don't even want the ceremony anymore. Am I wrong for feeling this way? And then there's a little note that says, my apologies for being vague with the details. I don't want to risk that anyone that I work with hears my story. So... Let me say this. I know that people always want to say, well, I don't want people to, you know, highlight my blackness or highlight the fact that I'm a woman. I don't want that kind of accolade. I just want to be like everybody else. And they just say, oh, this person got tenure and ignore the fact that I'm a woman and that I'm black. But guess what? That's not the case. And other little black girls need to see that highlight, they need to see that a black woman is tenure at a PWI. So little black girls need to see that highlighted because otherwise, who's who's looking at the news of just another other random person being promoted? So we don't want to put your picture out there. We don't want to actually highlight that. This is a big deal. And let's not belittle this, this uh, 
achievement. The fact that you are tenured at a PWI is major deal, okay? So you get all the horn tooting that you can get. You be on the local news and the national news and whatever that you need to be on to show people, hey, I'm tenured. And that may open doors for you. And I know people are like, I don't want to use my race to open doors. Use whatever door you get, okay? Open all the doors. If it's going to help get you on television and have you talking about your experience, which can then help other people see you in other universities and say, let me reach out to this tenured faculty to get her involved in this multi-center study. Let me see if this person needs dollars for their research because you're out there, okay? And now you've gained more traction and more credibility. So don't diminish that, okay? Let them put you up during Black History Month. Let them put you out there then and remind them to put you up again when Women's History Month comes up. They can do both, okay? They can do both. And I would allow them to do both. Let them have the ceremonies to celebrate you. Yes, you are token right now. Why? Because you're the first. Anybody that's come along and they're tenured, they're, they're gonna be a little bit of a token. And that's okay. Because now you can reach back, you can try to help uplift and encourage other people and show them how they can become tenured in a PWI, okay? So yeah, let's not let's not uh, get too emotional about that. I mean, people think about that all the time. I don't wanna be acknowledged as black. Well, guess what? You're black and you're a woman and you need to embrace that and move on. I agree with you, but I do feel like it's just something a little strange about the fact, because. Let me tell you, this letter came in well before we read it. I do feel like there's something a little bit unsettling about the fact that her tenure was immediate, meaning I guess they, you know, they changed her pay or whatever comes with tenure immediately, but they wanted to wait for the announcement. It's like, eh, okay, I get it. Maybe they do highlight her on in Black History Month or Women's History Month or both, as you suggested. But like, why couldn't we highlight her when it happened too? That's the part that I'm not quite understanding. That's the part that I don't feel comfortable with personally. Like I get it that it seems like, well, why do I have to wait? Did everybody else have to wait? Or is it just me? Like, why don't you do a special Black History Month slash Women's History Month program? Maybe you do it the week February leading into March and then you highlight me. I think that I would feel better if there wasn't this conversation beforehand, right? If they had said, oh, we're highlighting you to say like, oh, you made tenure just like they did every other professor. And then on Black History Month or Women's History Month, they made acknowledgement of it. I would feel more comfortable with it. But this conversation of, oh, well, you're going to make tenure now and it's going to go into effect now, but we're going to highlight it in Black History Month. Is it like, do you want a cookie for this? I'm confused. Like, what has your prior, I would be interested to know, what has the prior Black History Month programming been? What has the prior Women's History Month programming been? And are you going to have any Black History Month or Women's History Month programming in 2023? Because if you're not, then don't make this special exception for me because that's weird and it feels uncomfortable. That's just how I feel. But I'm with you, Nicole, in, yes, yeah, sometimes we do want to stray away from the fact that people are highlighting us or giving us accolades because we are the first of our kind, right? Like we're the first black woman or we're the first woman or we're the first black person. I get it. We should probably lean into that a little bit more when it's available to us. But sometimes it's it's just not a comfortable place to be because it almost feels like, especially when people overdo it, it almost feels like the reason why you got to where you where you are is because you're a black woman, right? It's because of some some weird like affirmative action, even though most times it's not. It just feels like that when people play up to the fact that you're a black woman. Look, we know that black women fix everything. We know that black women can do everything and we're more than qualified because we have to be in order to get to the places where we have gotten to. But sometimes it's like, Hey, chill out on the the whole focus and the fact that I'm black. Chill out on your affirmative action feelings and let's focus on my accolades outside of my race and my gender. So I kind of feel her. People need to get out their feelings. Listen, most people that make tenure don't get no celebration. They are published in a paper. So like if you're at UMC, that little monthly uh, journal that comes out, your little name's in the paper. It's under the little, little column that says tenure track. And they moving on, okay? 
So the fact that somebody even wants to have a ceremony just because you're tenured is a big freaking deal. And I'm pretty sure that like clockwork, everybody that got tenure for that quarter, her little picture got published, but it was overlooked, okay? So you want people not to treat you as the status quo because there's a lot of people that got tenure. And the fact that you're the first black person and it's 2022, or if this letter was sent out a while ago, 2021 is a big deal. So if they want to highlight you again, in addition to putting your little name in print under the little tab that says tenure track, then let them do this. But if you don't want anybody to highlight you and you want to be treated just like everybody else, and you want to be ignored as the first black woman, okay, then tell them not to spend the money on the cake and punch, okay? But let me tell you, everybody else is not getting a party to be tenured. Just saying. People take themselves way too seriously right now. Let these people have that cake and punch for you and sit down and you get on the stage and you say what you need to say so them other black people can, can say, oh, you tenured? We, we proud of you. Well, we proud of you, Johnny May's daughter. We so proud. Let them do that, okay? That gives people a sense of pride. When I meet people, and I know, Janine, you'll like this too. When you meet people and you've done something, they don't know what it is you do. They just know you got to post on social media. You're speaking at some, some event. We are certain they see you. We are proud because you're not strung out. You're not having no babies. You're not, you know, in jail. They, you got an education, and you are like them. And so they are proud that you have made it. So let those people celebrate you. Stop being so sensitive. I want people to concentrate on something other than my skin color and the fact that I'm a woman. Girl, if they don't put, concentrate on that, they're going to be concentrating on something else. Take that tokenism and keep on moving. Just saying. I agree. Now that you put it like that, you are so right. Because I know people that have known me from when I was a child that have not really known the in-between phase. They don't, you know, they know where I went to college and all of that, but they have no idea of like my career path. And they kind of, you know, what I do, it's not like a doctor, right? People are like, wait, what is it that you do every day? So they don't, they don't quite know, but they're proud of me. I do feel that. So you are absolutely correct. There are people who are like, you know what? I'm just proud of you. It's, it's really interesting that we're even talking about this because I just received a LinkedIn message from my high school varsity volleyball coach and she was like hey I would just love to connect and it's like you know what it feels good to feel that somebody is kind of looking from the outside in and they're like I don't know what you do I know that you do something that's contributing to society and that it took a lot of work for you to get here and we are proud of you for that so I agree girl let them celebrate you I'm with Nicole now I get that it might feel weird and it's awkward and uncomfortable but it can't be no more awkward and uncomfortable than being the first black woman as a tenured professor at a PWI so you've gotten past the hardest awkward part let's embrace the rest of it let's let's embrace it and then you know it it helps because you're now opening doors for others and just think of it like that open doors for others the more people that know the more people that know what they can achieve Girl, you know that TikTok that's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> that's how I feel like cheering for her right now. That's how I feel like cheering. Especially a PWI on. in the South, right? In the South. Girl, you you work too hard for this. Go, go ahead and take your celebration, your cake and your punch. All right, Janine. So what did you learn new this week? I learned, according to the American Bar Association, only 2% of lawyers in 2021 identified as African-American or black. And I'm sure that there's an even smaller percentage of black women, even though there were no statistics that showed how many black women were lawyers. So we all know that that pales in comparison to the number of black people who go through the judicial system. So think about the number of black people who go through the judicial system and think about that only 2% of lawyers in 2021, 2% identified as African-American or black. Only 2%. That's it. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? Listen, the, the stats for attorneys and doctors are running neck and neck then. I'm just saying. I guess we need to look at all the professionals. But uh, I, I am going to say something that stuck out to me that you said is the word identified. Okay? Uh, identified. So I'm just going to put it out there. If you black 
or one sixteenth black, you need to check black. Okay, you need to go ahead and identify as black because people are still doing that now. It's 2022. They don't want to check the black box. They check in other like, oh, well, I have all of these other ethnicities. No, boo boo. If you one sixteenth, you black. Okay, just thought I'd put it out there. But what I learned new this week was according to Rutgers University Center for Women and Politics, 49 women of color serve in the 117th Congress, which is a historic number. And this is out of 143 women. So out of the women, 34.3% are women of color. But women of color only make up a total of 9.2% of the total 535 members of Congress. So women still have, in general, have a long way to go. And 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 African-American women also have much longer. But they're catching up, 9.2%. That's, that's, that's catching up close to the 13%, almost. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's getting closer. As you said, we still have a long way to go. All right, so the motivational moment for this week, this is the season of Black Girl Magic. We have Black women vice president, more Black women in office, and more Black college-educated women than ever before. But let's not get too comfortable because racism still exists. There are still people who want to see us fail. So stay diligent and keep grinding. And as you move up the ladder, make sure to reach back and uplift another Black woman. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye! Bye. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.